All right, um, it is week two of Advent. Good to see you all. Thanks for joining us in the gathering. My name is Steve, and I'm the lead pastor here. And uh, again, I, I love uh, incorporating our different family units into the celebration of this, this season and, and the candle lighting moment and all that. So again, it's pretty cool to see that. Thank you uh, to those who are helping out with that this year. Speaking of families... You may have noticed that Pastor Antonio and Gabby have not been around the last couple of weeks, and that is because their uh, baby has arrived. So Aslan Reyes, uh, he came into the world on November 21st. On November 20th, Gabby was up here giving announcements, and then like the next day, boom, here's a, here's a kid. So pretty cool <laughs> timing. Um, and everybody is doing well, uh, he's doing well, mom is doing well, um, and apparently uh, Antonio is doing well too. So that's great, all three of them uh, getting used to this new life uh, as a family of three together. Uh, we just encourage you to keep them in mind and uh, in your prayers um, as they step into this new thing, right? This new phase of being a family of three. Um, it, is, uh, it is exciting, especially these first couple of, of Days and weeks, uh, it is very disorienting. So again, keep them in your prayers. All right, last week uh, we returned to a practice that we have, uh, that we did uh, coming out of, of COVID way back in the fall of 2020, the first time that we were able to meet together in person. We were at Bet Havram, the Jewish synagogue outside in their beautiful redwood courtyard. And we started doing this uh, this little practice to sort of get us into the moment and get us into our bodies. And since we're talking about what it looks like to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength this Advent season, it felt like it was good to return to this practice. So I just want to invite you to hold your hands out. Hold your hands out in this posture of openness and receiving. And just take a breath. Take a breath as we get into our bodies and, again, into this posture of readiness for what God wants to say to us this morning. Then I want to invite you to take your hands, both of them, put them over your heart. And again, take a breath, feel your heart beating. This reminder that we're here. And we have a new day, a new opportunity to love God and to love one another. That every day God's mercies, his grace, his love are made new to us. This season, it comes up, I feel like it comes up sooner and faster every year. And yet, uh, is so fundamental to our faith, to our relationship with you, celebrating the truth that Jesus, one of the three persons of the Trinity, came to earth as a baby in the form of a human being, not considering equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, but gave himself up. And so, Father, we come into today, we come into this season, we may be in the midst of 
challenges, uncertainty. Uh, we may feel overwhelmed. We may have family drama. Maybe, we're, maybe life is just really fun and busy and full right now. But whatever it is that we bring in, we again, God, as we return to open hands, we just ask that you would speak to us in a fresh way this morning. We're receptive and open to what you want to say to us. Would you give us the courage to respond in whatever ways we need to respond? And everybody said, amen. All right, if you have a Bible, open with me to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah is our jumping off point for our uh, Advent conversations this year. Isaiah chapter 9, uh, you can also find that, as has been mentioned a couple times already, our Discovery Christian Church app full of all kinds of resources. One of those is the Bible, and you can look it up there um, as well. Isaiah chapter 9, we're going to read the first six verses, and we'll return to this text throughout the conversation this morning, so you can keep that open um, as we jump in. Verse 1, nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. Right, good news right out of the gate. There will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. And of course, if you know the Jesus story, Galilee was Jesus' home base for most of his time on earth. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressors. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire, for to us a child is born. To us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And peace is our theme here for the second week of Advent. Remember, though, that our, our, our overarching theme for the conversation this year is this little phrase, now in flesh, a pit of the Father, now in idea through this Old Testament book of Isaiah, stories about Jesus, all the connections between those things, and then these traditional Advent themes of hope, peace, joy, and love, as well as the great commandment, which has really been our, our, our sort of uh, hinge for all of our conversations this fall and the practices and integrity and now into Advent. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Last week we, we started this journey together by naming the brilliance of Moses and Jesus who recognized that there are these different aspects that make up our full selves, right? We are heart, soul, mind, and strength. Different parts said that they're way ahead of their time because more and more often today there is this recognition of these different parts of ourselves and that can be really helpful, but there is not always a helpful framework for 
integrating them. Right, so a helpful recognition, but not always a helpful framework for integrating them. In our moment, we, we reduce the fullness of what it means to be a human being, the fullness of human experience to simply chemistry or, or mere physicality or whatever our emotional state is in the moment. We, we tend to deny, and we'll talk about this in, uh, in one of the next two weeks, but we tend to deny the existence of the soul. But the good news of Advent, the good news of Advent is that in Jesus, who is fully God and fully human, all those dimensions are held together in an integrated whole. And all those dimensions can be held together in an integrated whole in us, in what theologians call the imago Dei, the image of God. Heart, soul, mind, and strength. So we began by exploring strength and the connections to the first big theme of Advent, which is hope. And that meant that we spent some time talking about our bodies. Now today, we turn to the mind, what it means to love God with all of our mind and this theme of peace, which means we need to talk about our brains. Now, I'm not a neurologist. Newsflash. But there is a lot of really interesting uh, research and and. and information coming out these days about the brain, right? These new understandings of how the brain works, really, really fascinating stuff. There's also this growing recognition of what is called neurodiversity, the truth that our brains work in different ways. We have all the same basic parts, but how they're wired up and how they operate can be quite different. And this is a very important uh, uh, distinction in understanding some differences in, in human beings and how we interact. Now, what's interesting to me is that right at the same time that all of this new research and understanding of the brain is happening, at the very same time, we are also seeing a dramatic rise in things like anxiety and depression, what many are calling a mental health crisis. So, more and more understanding of the brain, more research, more knowledge, but then at the same time, this increase in mental health challenges. When I was a campus minister at Boston University, and this is, pains me to say this, but this is like over 10 years ago now, I went to the like year-end meeting for all the different people that worked in student services. And this, I'll never forget this moment. It was like, it was like hey, everybody needs to come to this. We've got a big thing to talk about. And it's like, ooh, what is this going to be? So I show up, and the big conversation that year was this sort of new reality that they had observed. That for the first time in the school's history, or at least since they'd been tracking these sorts of things, they had sent more kids to the hospital that year for mental health uh, challenges than they had for alcohol-related issues. And that was, that was like, whoa, what is happening? What, what is going on with this? And I would, I would say that over the last 10 years, that trend has only increased and, and become more and more true. That was 10 years ago, and, and, and I think, you know, as people have been reflecting on this, there's always this big question of, like, why? Right? Why is this happening? Why the rise in some of these things? And there's, you know, all kinds of, I mean, you can spend a lot of time Googling this, and the New York Times probably has, like, a whole, uh, 
a database just of articles about mental health. But social media often listed as a primary culprit. Certainly we're more and more connected and therefore we're more aware of what's going on in the world. Sometimes we're overwhelmed because we know, what, we know what's going on with 8 billion people, right? And we see injustice and we see tragedies and we see all these different things happening around the globe that we were not necessarily designed to bear. Or we see good things, right? We see what's happening in the lives of our friends and like, oh, this person just had a baby. This person got a job promotion. And we can feel bad because of that. And then we're like, why do I feel bad? Good things are happening. But we do this comparison thing and we just get into these vicious cycles, all of which can mess with our minds. And then if certainly the pandemic didn't help any of this, right? Only amplified many of these things. Now again, I am not a brain scientist and I am not a mental health professional. I am a pastor and a theologian. So I come at this question from that perspective. And what I think about when I, uh, when I think about this conversation is uh, something that we talked about here at Discovery a few years ago. One of the first uh, series we did when, when I got here was called Paradoxology. That conversation was an exploration of some of the tensions within our faith, right? Some of the seeming paradoxes. How can God be both like sovereign and in control of everything, but then also I have freedom and choice? Things like that. And one of the paradoxes that we considered that I think speaks to peace and mind and brains and anxiety and all these different questions that we have is what we called the Moses paradox, which is the God who is at the same time far away and very close. The God who is far away and very close. In theological terms, this is the paradox of imminence and transcendence. Imminence, closeness, proximity, intimacy, and transcendence, otherness, bigness, something beyond us. I think what we see throughout human history is, is that we... We do our best to try to avoid this tension, all right? And we swing in one direction or the other, and we are absolutely in a moment where we have swung heavily towards imminence. We live in what philosopher Charles Taylor calls the imminent frame, which is we just live with whatever we can see and touch and smell and taste, right? No transcendent reality. No outside authority. And so what we are left with in the imminent frame is the radically autonomous self where you are the authority. Now, there's a very high level of freedom here that is quite enticing. And it is certainly reinforced by cultural messaging. But it is ultimately anxiety producing. And I use that not in the clinical sense, but just in sort of the spirit of the age sense. It's ultimately anxiety-producing because I think that we inherently know that we are limited. That we cannot do everything. That if we get into the comparison cycle, we're always going to lose. Without a larger frame, there's just too many options. Uh, There's too many options available to us in which to ground our identity. And this is not how we were designed to live and to flourish. And so we need transcendence. 
not as a solution to every mental health challenge. We need transcendence as a balance, right? As the other side of this paradox, this tension. We need something bigger than us to make sense of us. We need something bigger than us to make sense of us. Jesus would say we need love of God and love of neighbor. And Isaiah would say we need the names. We need the names. And in our text today, we get these four incredible names, titles. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. And I want to break those down here for just a moment. Counselor. Now, God or spirituality, Jesus, whatever label you want to put on it, is not the answer to all mental health challenges. It's not like you just sprinkle some God onto the wounds in our brains and all better. Right here at Discovery, we are big proponents of counseling and medication. There is no shame in those things. If you have been a part of a faith community where that has been your reality, where you have been made to feel less than or that you don't have enough faith or whatever, I'm sorry that that's been your experience, but I don't believe that that is in line with the teaching of Scripture. Now, having said that, we also believe wholeheartedly that right relationship with God is a big part of this equation. Right relationship with God is not about Again, magically solving all of our problems. But it is about rightly ordering our lives. It's about rightly ordering our loves, our affections, by putting God at the center. Now, here is some beautiful graphic design that I did. You're welcome. Wow, that was way more applause than, than it deserves. Uh, the idea here, though, this is, I mean, it's, you know, whatever, super simple diagram, but you get the idea. The idea here is that we need all these things, right? We, we need to have God at the center. We need close friends and good community around us. We need, at times, professional counseling, medication, healthy practices, eating good food, exercising. We need all of that, but God must be at the center. Again, not as the thing that fixes everything and makes it all go away, but as the one who holds it all together. Wonderful counselor, but also mighty God. This is the transcendence piece. Right? The God who is bigger than us. The God who is other, who is different and mysterious, who is beyond us, who is powerful in all the ways that we need God to be powerful as creator, sustainer, the writer of wrongs, the arbiter of justice, our redeemer, our savior. We need a mighty God. But then also, the Father. This is imminence. The personal, intimate knowing of the Trinity. Now, this could be a hard one, right? This can be a hard one because many of us have had poor fathers or absent fathers. By the way, God is also described several times in Scripture as a mother, including Isaiah, Isaiah 66. So if that 
image works better for you, everlasting mother, not heretical at all. To me, one of the beautiful aspects of the good news of Jesus is that it can redeem the ways in which we have been parented. Uh, growing and understanding and accepting the love of God as an everlasting parent, father, mother, mighty God, everlasting father. And then also prince of peace. And to me, this is where it all sort of hangs together. This beautiful truth that we can have authentic relationship with the prince of peace. Prince of condemnation, not uh, prince of power, or prince of condemnation, or prince of judgment, prince of peace. This is where I think the beauty of the paradox is held together and we can rest, right? Prince, authority, someone who is above us and beyond us, but again, prince of peace, of shalom, of right relationship, who desires to know us in real and personal and intimate ways. Prince of Peace, where it holds together, where we find peace in Jesus, who holds it all together, all things. Not, not some of the things, not the easy things, not the things that we want him to hold for us, but all things. Right? Our wonderful counselor, our mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, holds it all. <clears throat> In the spring of 2012, I got up on a stage like this to give announcements at church. got into my spiel, and I started to, like, it felt like an anvil had been placed on my chest. And, and I, like, couldn't breathe. And then the room started to move. And I don't know if you've had this experience. This is not like the room was spinning. It was like the room was waving, undulating. That's a good word. And I had this, like, I, I was trying to talk and, and do the thing, like, say the things I was supposed to say, but I couldn't breathe. And I was running, I felt like I was running out of air. And the room is moving. And I was trying to, like, find a point, you know, somewhere to focus on to try to bring me back to neutral. And I couldn't do it. <laughs> so I just walked off the stage and sat down. Classic panic attack. In a very, very public setting. Which was super embarrassing at the moment, but was actually a very, very important, and I think in a strange way, good gift to me in my life. At that particular time, there was just a lot of things that were going on. We had miscarried our first pregnancy, and we were pregnant again with, uh, with Marina. Uh, but it was very early on in the, in, in the stages there, and I was, I, I was freaked out. Uh, we were also in a really difficult season of, of ministry and not sure about you know, what we were doing and where we were going. And maybe the biggest thing of all is that I was learning. I was in my early 30s, and I, I thought I was pretty awesome. And I was learning that I was not as awesome as I thought I was. Uh, you can laugh about that. It's fine. But seriously, like, I thought I could do everything. I thought I could do all these things, uh, meet with everybody, say yes to every opportunity, 
check every box, and I discovered in a very public way, I can't. <laughs> I can't do all these things. I can't hold it all together. And I started to learn some really important things about what it means to live intentionally, about what it looks like to have healthy practices in my life, to actually honor the Sabbath, to take breaks. Uh, it was an invitation, I think, to explore some new spiritual practices. It was an invitation to start exercising. And again, just sort of thinking through how I was, I was living my life. Honestly, this is where a lot of our adventure with the practices here at Discovery comes from. This, embracing these practices that draw us into intimacy and wonder. And again, I don't offer that as the solution to every mental health challenge, but I think we need to have both of those things. Intimacy and wonder. And so one question I would just have for us this morning is what are the things, what draw you into intimacy with God, our everlasting Father? But also that draw you into wonder, right? Mighty God, Prince of Peace. What are those practices for you? We tend to think of peace uh, as a feeling, Right, something that, that we sort of sense intuitively. This, oftentimes it's a lack of stress, a lack of something challenging going on. Peace is not a feeling. And it is definitely not a lack. Peace is an abundance. It is a state of being. It is a reality that we are invited to live into. Shalom, the word most often translated as peace in Scripture. It is a description of rightly ordered relationships, a rightly ordered life where God is at the center holding all things together. And the good news here is that this is God's work. We, we are not, it's not on us to make shalom happen, but we are invited to participate in it. And it is when we rest in that assurance that God has done this work for us, that he has in fact reconciled all things to himself, that he is in fact holding it all together, that he has invited us to live in shalom. It is there that we find peace. For me, and again, this, you can laugh at this. This is a silly thing to say. But it, for me, the journey has been, Steve, you are not Jesus. You are not the Savior. You do not hold it all together. Living in this reality that when Jesus says it is finished, that I actually live as if that is true. Right? I think for me, for a long time, and I still fall into this, it's very easy to live as if, oh, there's still a couple other things to do. It is finished. Living as if we really do have a mighty God, a wonderful counselor, a prince of peace, an everlasting father. We come now to the communion table. I'll invite the band to come back and, and prepare to lead us in worship. We come to the communion table, and you'll notice on stage we have, um, these are Christmas trees, not pizza slices. Um, but we also still have the cross, right? And the cross is this reminder 
of the paradox. Right? The God who is near but also far away. Imminence and transcendence, right? These two axes, if you will, vertical and horizontal that meet together, perfectly holding the tension. It is this visual reminder to us of our peace, right? Of the truth that God has done the work for us, that it is finished. Relationship restored. Shalom available. And we don't have to work for it. We don't have to earn it. We just get to live in it. Isaiah finishes this section of his book by saying this, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. And upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. And then this is my favorite phrase. Deal of the Lord will accomplish this. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. God accomplishes it. We live it. Grace and peace through our Lord Jesus Christ. So how, how will you live in peace this Advent? Do you need to slow down? Do you need to trust? Do you need to rest? Do you need to experiment with living? As if he really does hold it all together. Maybe it's one of the names. You need to spend some time with one of those names. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. As we get ready for the table, as we sing these final songs, just want to encourage you to sit with some of that for a moment. And then when you are ready, come to the table, the bread and the juice, these reminders of it is finished, of the Jesus who holds it all together. When you're ready, come and take communion.